the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Is the Seth Leibson Show. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Uh, this Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. 20, 20, 2022. Is that how you say it? Yeah, I, got, I guess I got to get used to it. That is how you would say it, 2022. Lewis Holman in the house. His uh, dad, Hugh, will be uh, with us next week. He's not here this week due to travel. But Lewis is the managing uh, director of Insight Analytics, Insight Analytics, LLC. Among other things, I see we have a few callers on the line. Uh, I'm going to ask you to hold just a moment. We will get to you. Um, but um, Lewis uh, was just telling me he, he, he had to weigh in on what I was saying in the last segment with the additional information that Marty McCary had just broadcast. Marty McCary is a physician and a teacher over at Johns Hopkins University. He was making a point that you will not hear from anyone in the administration his point was that um, this war of the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated that Joe Biden is promoting. He says, let's take college students for just a half a moment, he said. There is literally no reason for a college student who has had COVID to be vaccinated. That's what he said. Lewis Holman's in, in, uh, in the house, and he wanted to weigh in on that and a bunch of stuff I had said. Lewis, well, the mic is yours. He's absolutely correct. It's an empirical matter. The the Morbidity and mortality data does not suggest that college students benefit from any additional protection from the from the vaccine. And so what I'm forced to reckon with is that this is not an exercise in the benevolent government looking out for all of our interests because we're too dumb to do it ourselves. This is an exercise in control. And I was saying to you over the break that it reminds me very much of how much of secondary education is now no longer about educating you. It's about Sticking you in a room with someone who is in charge, having you face forward, going to the break, you know, taking breaks when excused and being trained in the art of compliance. Whether you retain your geometry proofs is frankly irrelevant to the institution. You haven't in all likelihood. Mm -hmm. It's about getting that forced compliance response. And agreeing with the professor. Precisely. And this actually kind of led me into into. Uh, a discussion that you'd been having with a, with a caller in the last section yeah. about how people really don't use data when making their decisions and that this is kind of mystifying to, to all of us, you know, myself included. I, I really prefer statistics to other things when I'm, when I'm trying to evaluate something I don't understand. Okay. But I, I, I'm really struck, though, that I'm kind of a rare breed here because people are not motivated by numbers. They don't understand numbers intuitively. What they do understand and what they are motivated by are stories. Mm -hmm. People get stories. Yep. The magic of once upon a time. Right. And, yeah. and so part of the issue that you, you then mentioned is that we're all forced to read the left stories, yeah. but none of us then are forced to read sort of the conservative counterpoints to that. And while it's true that that is a tremendous temporary advantage in that the left gets massive amount of exposure, I think that there's a, there's a hidden asymmetry that maybe you guys didn't pick up on. Sure. And it's that 
None of them then understand and can reckon with the locus of where conservative thought comes from, and none of them are prepared to argue with it when it emerges on its own terms. Great point. And so this gives us the ability then, if we can only read the room, if our leaders are only willing to think about very hard what is going on around them, we can then come up with real stories that don't then concede the issue wholesale and argue exclusively on the left's terms, but then flip over the table. May I give you a for instance? Yeah. So let's look at climate change, for instance. Climate change is basically a pseudo-religious death cult at this point. That the world is ending and we have to stop eating burgers and driving cars and doing all of these things. Well, that's one interpretation of what's going on is the ice caps melt. Would you like to hear another? I would. Well, Anchorage, Alaska is a fascinating city because it is the only city in the world that is very, very close to a massive, massive number of other people. Within nine hours of airplane travel from Anchorage, you can access... 90% of the world's population, from India to Korea to Europe to North America. And as the ice caps melt, well, a Northwest Passage will be opened up. Stan Roger has a great song, but for one time I would take a Northwest Passage. The opening of that Northwest Passage would shorten the freight trips that cargo has to move through by thousands of miles and make the Bering Strait a more important piece of international trade than the Straits of Malacca, the currently the busiest spot for trade in the world. And so, what story could we tell with that? How about enormous riches coming to America as we become not only the hot spot and, and the, the refuge for global capital, but also the next door neighbor and the overwatcher of all of global trade? Doesn't that sound like a good thing? How has no conservative politician come up with any counter-narrative talking about any of this? Uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the notion of, uh, of change for the better or creative destruction in some respects, as it used to be called. But uh, before I get to that, let me go back to what you said, which just opened up an insight to me. By them not ever, by the left not ever reading us, listening to us or taking us seriously – When we engage them in conversation or debate, we are coming to them or they are listening to us de novo for the first time. It's the first time they're ever hearing the point we're making or the argument that we're making, and they literally don't know what to do with it or how to answer it. So, Mm -hmm. for example, uh, you know, I don't know. There's probably four topics I have done a lot of public debates on, uh, and and I will – often use and they often take place on college campuses and I will all often use you know real data I think data matters I think uh, you know data we can agree on matters or at least respect or at least take an account of um, and I and I have just found it absolutely fascinating that my argufiers those who I've been in debate with as well as the audience um, they do look at you like a deer in the headlights when you present these things. That's they very- have never encountered these notions before. Nowhere has this been more prominent, by the way, in than- – That's where you reach people. That's really where you reach people okay. is that deer in the headlights moment because that's when you show them like like the figments in Plato's cave that there is more to the world than they previously understood. Yes, but Plato understood the left better than most because – They'll often fight you if you do that. Exactly. When you go back to show them 
they think you're the crazy person. Right. And they want to eat you. Well, it's a terrifying process, right, to reckon with the idea that all of the authority figures that you have seen and the cozy little existence and world that you have built for yourself and the ideas that you thought you had that you thought were valid – don't actually make an ounce of sense. Yeah. It is a terrifying journey to have to experience. It is interesting uh, to think about – I think it is still true. It was for most of my lifetime that when people had political conversions, typically if they converted, it was from left to right. I think it's still true. That is still broadly the, true. People yeah. generally okay. as they age will move from left to right. OK. There is some in the other direction, but it used to be and I gather still is – Far outweighed by those who move left to right. Well, it's the old joke, right? If you're not liberal in your 20s, you don't have a heart. And if you're not a conservative in your 30s, you don't have a brain. That joke speaks volumes. And it speaks volumes because of something a sociologist wrote in the 1960s, Philip Reif at the University of Pennsylvania, a big important book called The Triumph of the Therapeutic where he predicted that in – maybe you're familiar with the work – that in the not-too-distant future from the 60s, feelings would trump fact. Psychology and psychoanalysis would be more important. Well, good thing nothing like that has ever happened, I'm sure. (laughs) But we do live in this world now. We do live in this world where feeling has trumped fact, where belief has – has has trumped uh, provable provable truths such that people even even – by conceding that they may not have 100% certainty on their side will invoke the phrase, my truth. This is a big problem for me. Well, you know, I, by saying that, they're recognizing there's at least another truth, but they're thinking theirs is more important or equally important. I'm not sure that this is a new event, Seth, right? The old 19th century quote that the uh, uh, the a lie can make its way halfway yeah, around the world yeah. before the truth gets its shoes on, right? right? Like this has always been... I think a factor of the human condition in that studying something, understanding it and creating a system to describe it and then convey that clearly, that's actually really hard to do. But, you know, coming up with a post hoc rationalization is easy. Our brains literally won't let us not do that. Okay. (laughs) All right. At some point, if you've been on hold, we'll come to you in the next segment. Just bear with us through this commercial break. I want to spring a phrase on you. You likely already know it. You may not. And I want to spring it on my producer. It's a phrase we didn't know existed when it came to us about a year ago. Um, And it may explain a lot. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Lewis Hallman. The phone number is 602-508-0960. And we will all be right back. Wow, we probably need to start that song a little later in the wind-up just so we can get some of uh, Sting's voice in there. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Lewis Hallman is my guest. Uh, His dad usually joins us uh, uh, and uh, is off on travel, but will be with us next week. Let me go to uh, Ryan in Tempe. You have been patiently on hold, Ryan. I thank you for that. The floor is yours. Well, and I, and I thank you because you also added one more little thing to the two things I was going to Oh, good. Okay. What I was listening to. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, well, and what your guest was speaking to actually spoke what to one of my points. So let me get the quick one out first. If you're having trouble searching the FBI website, let me offer you some advice. I'm, I'm a bit of a research writer myself. I spend a lot of time on there. You're right. It has gotten more complicated. Your best bet is actually to use a search engine like DuckDuckGo to search their website for your information. 
Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah. So okay. you go to DuckDuckGo, you type in FBI.gov space, okay, not underscore space, uh-huh. and then whatever subject or key term you want to find on their website, and then let DuckDuckGo find it for you. You may have just changed my life, literally, with that piece <laughs> of advice. I thought I was the best researcher I knew when it came to Internet searching. I didn't know you could do that. So l- let me uh, add, if I may, there was a piece earlier in the show, last section, where you were talking about algorithmic yeah. bias. Yeah. And to me, the scariest part of that is not actually that an algorithm will explicitly censor a voice, but it's in the rank order of how it presents the information. Uh-huh. If you are searching FBI crime stats and Google is showing them to you, but it's burying them in the 15th page, they may as well not exist. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's a great point. So just so I understand, use DuckDuckGo as the search engine, type in FBI.gov space, and then whatever you would otherwise be trying to search within the FBI.gov website. Yes, sir. Very important, the space, not the underscore. It'll mess with it. And the same trick applies to CIA.gov, NASA.gov, Signet. I give you a whole bunch of Does it only work with government websites so far as you know? No. It should work with anything. No, no. In fact, yeah, I, I learned it actually as a... Sales research and companies. I was doing a pitch trying to. I learned it years ago that way, but it applies to these government websites because they're just in, in, impossible you know to search. I you can, you can also use quotes, by the way, to look well, for specific qu- uh, phrases as well, which yeah. is often helpful. I use quotes a lot. Yes, by sir. the way, does the underscore do anything? It'll mess with it. It'll mess it'll with create, it, but not give you what you, it's, yeah, it's not another tool. Okay, got it. Got no, it. and one of the things to try after that is all the stuff you would normally search engine. So. You know, try spelling it different ways, try acronyms, try yep. acronyms with the periods, with yep. the letters, without all of the above. But yep. That's your best way to find it. Fabulous. Um, the other thing I was going to mention, and actually what your speaker, were, uh, your guest was speaking to right before he went to break, kind of feeds right into it. So one of the things that this Marxist indoctrination is doing in the schools, just like he said, these kids are being taught, you, you just need to be given an answer and an authority source, and you need not think for yourself. Right. And I really think that what we have is decades through the education system of, and again, it feeds into what you said, where the first thing they're going to ask you when you say something is, well, who's saying that? Is it a white male? Is it a straight white male? Is it a CIS? And and the first thing they do is just pull anything objective out of the reasoning and say, what establishment do you represent? And there's really something to this saying, well, a white man has to be a racist. A white man, any opinion, any idea, anything you ever said. And I really feel these two things go hand in hand. They've turned us into bigots. They've turned us into bigots against ourselves, our own culture, our own history, against knowledge itself, because it has to come from some spot on their intersectional pie chart or graph chart, and that's where that information comes from. It comes from that square on their intersectional, on their intersectional graph. You and know, you just it, it really is a kind of bigotry, Ryan. When we uh, when we were trained to write in high school research papers, and then obviously again through and in, in college, whenever you made a point in a paper, a good teacher, a good professor would, if you didn't have a source, would write in the margin or circle it and put the question mark behind the word "cite." And it never dawned on me, and I be, and I believe you it, it to be eminently true. Now, when you do cite, that will become the critical matter as to what you are citing. Not what, not who, but the color of their skin, their religion, the time they lived in. Uh, let me have Lewis uh, say something. You're, I've, I'll give you all the time you want, Ryan, but let, let me have Lewis weigh in as well. So, Ryan, I actually really enjoyed the point you're making there. And if I, I might modify it slightly – that it's not even necessarily as much that they're using sort of the progressive stack or in intersectionality to to 
uses this mechanism, but I, I would really describe it as the fact that science is being turned into a guild, like a medieval-style guild. And what I mean by that is that you, according to the corporate press and many others, you are not a scientist unless you have a PhD from a research university and you do science either on behalf of that university or specific corporate employers. Anyone else in their eyes is unfit to cast judgment, read statistics, or, or do an opinion, mm-hmm. even if their, their conclusions are empirically valid. And it's it's really it's this phenomenon that that terrifies me um, that that debate and discourse are entirely shut out because we aren't members of a specific priestly class. Right. That we, we don't have, for instance, MDs or public health degrees and the like. And so despite the fact that we on this show have been consistently correct and months ahead of the corporate press on vaccine mandates, uh, uh, the inflation issue and and any number of issues with regard to COVID, that none of that actually matters to these people and none of these are allowed to exist as cogent political argument simply because and for no other reason than we, we fall outside of the guild. Ryan. Um, could I add one more little point here? Please, please, by all means. So one of the books I was researching for a lot of years that I think I've told you before, Seth, I'm on the auto ban list. Everything I publish gets immediately banned now by all the majors. <laughs> so not, not on the German freeway. Okay, got it. A different auto yeah, ban. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm on the auto ban list. Okay. Literally, I've had books banned by Amazon, all of them. Okay. But one of them is called Feminism, the Gateway Drug of All Western Marxists. Okay. And I believe this split begins in our civilization. Everything about feminism in the West is a lie. Girls and women have been treated better than boys and men here for centuries. Uh, domestic violence, women commit far more than men. Taking fathers out is horrible. Every single thing feminism promotes is good. We pound into the minds of children and their youth, and it's all completely divergent from the statistical reality. Interesting, Ryan. Uh, did you have? Uh, did you hear my interview with Heather MacDonald? I did. In fact, I think I – yeah, I did definitely. Yeah, she she went into fantastic. some of that as well. Yeah. And 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 the extent to which I will go on this is that um, – that there's 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 different obviously waves of feminism um, that people like to talk about. The one, and I don't remember what number we're up to. Are we in third or the fourth wave? I just don't remember. But the one that I find most troubling is the kind that has has lost the grasp and what I thought was the original intent and import of equality. May we pick up on that when we yeah, come back? Yeah, and it has gone from equality. Um, for women and to women to not just a diminishing but a destruction of male and martial virtue. I'm Seth. He's Lewis. We'll be right back. It is a tragedy. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Lewis Hallman is our in-studio guest. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. Was it your turned away in on something here you wanted to or was I, I forgot where we were oh, Lewis I apologize oh, absolutely not no okay. so I think um, we had been talking about oh some the male female thing and some of the issues with the male inter- oppressor yeah it, I, I was struck over the, the break by uh, recalling I think it was uh, Fiamengo is the scholar who, who, who I got this from but that 
that men must be the only oppressor class in human history with a lower life expectancy, a higher incarceration rate, a higher unemployment rate, and triple the rate of homelessness and less formal education. Less formal education than the class that they supposedly oppress. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very interesting that, yes, because the stories are convincing, we are willing to ignore the data. Um, it's sort of on that point, yeah. you know, that that feminism took root, that that civil rights took root in this country was is, is a profound victory, I think, for the human condition. Of course. But it's led us to a point, I fear, where we are confusing these things, civil rights and the like, what are the valuable and enduring fruits of a very complex and carefully maintained and architected political system free from international pressures that survived growing its mastery over a continent for 250 years. And we take these these very fragile products of this very rare political system and now we want to use them as the fundamental building blocks for all human politics and culture cross-culturally. And it's like, guys, that doesn't even make any sense on the face of it mm -hmm. because we cannot have these kinds of high equality, high harm avoidance behaviors and societies and leanings unless we are in a culture and a society that is very rich and very stable and very secure. Mm -hmm. And so we have so many fundamental questions that we have to solve before we get there and that if we if we instead tear down the system we've been working so hard to create and preserve and build a new one with these with these concepts of civil equality and, and civil rights at its core then well we lose a lot of the basis of the system that gave rise to the rights that we're trying to protect yeah well that's the point isn't it we've forgotten the purpose of everything the telos is that the right word the yeah. aristotelian telos or the yeah aristotelian telos the reason things exist you see this a lot with schools what is the reason for the elementary and secondary school in america we lost that a long time ago but what is the reason for supporting teachers? I think we're on. Let me read you this. A message from Chicago Public Schools. May I? Please. This was this was issued to every parent uh, who has a child in Chicago Public Schools, uh, which is probably the third or fourth largest school district in the country. Top five. Dear families, we are writing to let you know about a situation that may affect our ability to open schools tomorrow, Wednesday, January 5th. Members of the Chicago Teachers Union will be holding a vote tonight on whether or not they will report to work tomorrow. If teachers vote not to report to schools and disrupt student learning, classes will be canceled for all CPS students on Wednesday. We apologize for any convenience the possible cancellation of classes tomorrow may create for your family. The CTU vote is scheduled to end by 9 p.m. and we will then inform all families via email, robocall and text about the status of school for tomorrow, if classes are canceled tomorrow, students should not report to the buildings for in-person learning. Remote instruction will not be available either. However, school buildings will be open during regular hours for administrators and staff who are expected to report. Please note that after-school activities will also be canceled. Now, what is this about? Obviously, it's about teachers and COVID and teachers in the in the in the teachers union in Chicago not wanting to do 
their job. Can I yell a bit about those COVID stats recently? Because it's, yeah. it's a thread that we, we've talked about on this show before, but yeah, it is just exactly. making me But I'm going to ask you to mind. hold it okay. for the commercial break. Uh, let's come back on that. But as we go to break, just keep in mind uh, the purposes of your taxes for supporting schools, public schools, at least in Chicago, <laughs> kind of interesting. Do you see that little that little leisure domain there? It won't be available for students. <laughs> we will, however, be able Continue to subsidize the administrators and staff. Yep. Yes, we have forgotten too many teloses. Telosi, telosi. Ooh, I'd have to work what's on my, the, my. What's the genitive plural of telos? I don't know. We'll figure it's, that out. It's in over Greek, the Greek, so I, I don't remember. Yeah, it's all Greek to me, right? That's the out. We'll be right back. Telia. We were looking for Telia. T E L E A. For all of you that wanted to know, that is the nominative plural of telos. Okay. We had to know that. Now we had to tell you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're not getting this on CBS Sunday morning, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Go ahead, Lewis. You wanted to make another point. So we were talking, I think, before the break about this uh, potential strike on behalf of Chicago school yeah, teachers right. who, of course, far from being the gracious, fair-minded people, are really, of course, revealing that they are looking after their own skins and profit. Um And are happy to minimize their workload at the expense of all the rest of us. So good job there, you know. Chicago public school teachers, thank you for that. But mm-hmm. the reason that they're getting the political cover to do this is because the corporate press is full of innumerate gibbering mouth breathers because they fail to understand that the holidays had office hours closures, which resulted in backlogs. So if you look at the data here in Arizona, for instance, we saw a few days last week that had about double the typical average volume we'd been seeing over the past month. Now, if you look at deaths, deaths are unchanged, implying that there is not really much of a fundamental uh, um there aren't legs to those numbers. They, they, they were due to the reporting complications. At least that's how it appears to me evaluating the data. And so if you have three days of office closure and then are open on the fourth day, it's very reasonable to expect that you're going to get a backlog of results. Oh, yeah. We call it logmageddon around here. And so it's interesting that, for instance, <laughs> on Monday, yeah. if you look at AZDHS's website and you saw how many new deaths they were reporting that day because it's Sunday's data reported on Monday – the number was zero. And yet somehow the Arizona Republic didn't turn that into a story about historically low COVID deaths because they understood that the office was closed. And yet somehow, somehow every media outlet out there has been running stories about record spikes in COVID cases completely divorced from the fact that the fundamentals are not backing them up across other measures. And so I I have to look at this and I have to just go, you people are a bunch of dummies or you're just entirely malicious and out for your own power, whichever. But the story that I will be carrying forward into the new year is that, well, office closures are a thing. They happen and they distort the data. And we are led by the nose by an, a, a media establishment that is unable or unwilling to to use second grader level logic when evaluating claims about the health and well-being of our entire country. Some of this almost feels – well, see, some of this, Lewis, I wanted to attribute to people not knowing how to do research, journalists not knowing how to do There's research. There's a lot of that. But some of it is so prevalent across various media platforms – 
that I almost wonder if it's deliberate. For example, well, it comes back yeah. again to this issue of science being a guild, okay. right? Yeah. A journalist is not qualified, even if they have nagging doubts. They're not going to go to their bosses and say, hey, boss, I think that Dr. Fauci is a moron because he's flip-flopped on all of these issues. He's not a scientist. He's not allowed to make that claim. And if he will, if he does, he will lose his very, very precious job. But what that journalist could do is put those stories in context and perspective without – being um, as as obvious as all that, but, the, the, but instead they toe the line to cover for him, which is what's very very odd. Like for example, if you take breakthrough data, there's a very simple thing I want to see, and that I think most people would want to see when they're looking for right. breakthrough hospitalizations and deaths, and it's the number, how many compared to how many. Let That's all you, we want. You cannot get it. Let me ask you. You cannot get that number. What you get is per one hundred thousand compared to those who are unvaccinated and vaccinated. You will not get a number that tells you what you really want to know. You get the number that justifies their position because you can find a five-point difference in the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated per capita. So, so here's a question for you, Seth. How much money do you pay annually to Fox News or, say, CNN? Because I don't pay anything to them, right? Right. And yet somehow I read their articles and look at their information. Right. I'm reminded of the idea that if you're not paying the business for the product you are using, you are not the customer. You are the product, which means that CNN and all of the rest of the corporate press are not actually incentivized to tell us the truth and get an actual relationship with us based on that honesty. They are only interested in grabbing our attention and outraging us so that they may furnish us with advertisements. It's a really valid point. It's a very important point. That, that you have to ask who the customer is. Right. It's clearly not us. Right. It's clearly not us. And what happens in a case – let's compare the two platforms. Let's compare this platform, Talk Radio, with a platform like CNN or Fox News – the difference is we get real-time feedback, and they sure. don't, and they can afford not to. And your advertiser base is almost no entirely local No one can call in and say, Don Lemon, you're full of it. I'd like to give you this perspective. That doesn't happen there as it happens right. here. Right. We have real skin in the game right. through the platform. There are structural issues in the way that, that legacy media and the corporate press has to engage with the world that prevent them in a very real way from engaging with us on equal terms. And in order to compensate for that, they lie. And they obfuscate and they use political backing. And that's fair enough. There's no good natural place to do this. Uh, but there's a phrase I needed to spring on you and Bill. Spring probably on Bill. Maybe he already knows it. You may already know it as well. Maybe I shouldn't use the word spring. But it occurred to me, are you familiar with this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez dust-up? She goes to a party, a New Year's Eve drag party in Florida. Okay. And she's seen mingling very closely with other human beings, sans mask. Right. And she's getting called out for it. It's because rules are for the peasant class, not the actual rulers of the country, right? Rules yeah. for thee, but not for me. Yeah, which is our complaint. She doesn't write it that way. Her response on Twitter, I will read it to you directly. If Republicans are mad they can't date me, they can just say that instead of projecting their sexual frustrations onto my boyfriend's feet. 
you creepy weirdos. It's starting to get old, ignoring the very obvious strange and deranged sexual frustrations that underpin the Republican fixation on me, women, and LGBT plus people in general. These people clearly Don't need flatter yourself. To it and use politics as their outlet instead. It's really weird. I discovered the phrase here, and this is the same phrase we were searching for when Bill noticed the ad campaign for masking was about don't don't what was it don't be weak don't be weak wear a mask and bill said to me what is it do you say to someone who's answering an argument you never made i found the phrase do you know it ignoratio elenchi ignoratio elenchi refuting an argument by responding to that which was never argued fascinating yeah we'll be right back spending some of your afternoon with us i if you didn't get a chance to get on just due to the time call back tomorrow and let us know we'll put you right on right up at the top i was asking earlier if uh if i could come up if anyone else wanted to come up with a list of five people living people you must read that are must reads when they write you have to read them uh and i didn't give you my list i will uh do a searching list overnight and give it to you tomorrow except I do have one of the five, and this doesn't need to be in any rank order. She was interviewed earlier today, and that's Heather MacDonald. Uh, she is critical reading. Whenever she writes, she's a must-read. And Lewis, Lewis heard me say that, and he wrote down a few of his people too. Go ahead, Lewis. So I, I can think of three off the top yeah. of my head. The first is Jordan Peterson, yep. who is brilliant and is coming to Arizona, I believe, in March. Okay. Um, very exciting. Uh, the second is a guy named Michael Malice, who – is an anarchist out of New York, but nevertheless says fascinating things about the nature of, of policy and politics. And I love that I get to disagree with someone who is intelligent and makes me think about the world. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. The last person I would say is Nassim Taleb. Oh, yeah. Who is a sort of statistician finance guy who also taught at Columbia. Um, People may know his most famous book, maybe not his best, but his most famous, The Black Swan. That's right? exactly right. right. It talks about basically the impact of rare events that are hard to predict beforehand and that we can all see coming with hindsight. So, You want a nice story about your daddy? I'd love one, yeah. The origins of these Tuesdays with your daddy. It was He was on a trip probably to where he is right now, and it must have been March or April of 2020. And he had read something uh, I think I wrote about COVID, and he said he'd like to come in and talk about it more. He says, as people – I'll never forget it. He said, as people are acting as if there's a black swan event when there isn't. I'll never forget that. And that's how we started these Tuesdays, hmm. him invoking that. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a feeling it's going to lead to a long conversation between you and your dad. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Lewis Holman. Until tomorrow, thank you all. God bless you and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.